You are listening to the sermon podcast of Nielsville Presbyterian Church, a Christ-centered church in Germantown, Maryland. To learn more about Nielsville, visit us online at nielsville.org. Good evening. I'm Michelle Kelly, elder uh, ordained at this church, and I've been involved in the worship and music for many, many years here. Um, I'm have been I'm privileged and humbled to give the message tonight. As you remember, Pastor Jeff said he would be away this week. He's in Texas again um, in a peacemaking training for pastors in, in ECO. And of course, this is an excellent job for him. Let's pray. Gracious Father, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Give us ears to hear so that we may receive your truth in faith and love. Give us strength to walk behind you on the path set before us. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and redeemer. Amen. Have you ever heard that the most important question you'll ever have to answer is, who is Jesus? The second question after you answer that one might be, Savior, what do I need to be saved from? That's why we Christians spend so much time reviewing the gospel message, to have it clear in our heads and then to move it deep into our hearts. The scripture theme tonight is from Psalm 103.10. He does not deal with us according to our sins. And yes, there is scripture. It will be included in the message as we go along. Someone asked Pastor John Piper about getting rid of sin. And he said... Imagine the air in this glass is sin. How am I going to get rid of it? Shall I use a vacuum pump and suck it out? No. I'll fill it with water. Just fill it with water. And what is this water? It's the living water of Christ. Suppose we let this living water fill us up drive out our sins, and irrigate our own growth in holiness. What would that look like in my life and in yours? This evening, Ash Wednesday, is the beginning of a 40-day journey to Easter Sunday. We're encouraged to use Lent to to celebrate the astounding victory over sin and death that Easter accomplished and to prepare. We're also challenged to ponder and soberly reflect on our own mortality. Genesis 3.19 states, For you are dust, and to dust you shall return, as the ashes remind us. But believers, we can rejoice at the amazing grace, the incredible mercy, and the infinite compassion of God who sent Jesus to conquer death so that we won't fear it, but we will welcome it as the door to eternal life. Ever since Genesis chapter 2, sin has disrupted our ability to enter into God's presence. And every Sunday, we are reminded of the great lengths that God went to in order to restore us to full communion with him. We'll never fully appreciate this until we understand the depth of our sin. We should consider the seriousness of our sin and the costliness of God's remedy for it, but we're not to dwell on our brokenness to the point of depression or despair. Because of Christ, we can see the sin then lift our eyes to marvel at God's redeeming and transforming love. A powerful Charles Wesley hymn text puts it this way. 
depth of mercy, can there be mercy still reserved for me? Can my God his wrath forbear, me the chief of sinners spare? I have long withstood his grace, long provoked him to his face, would not hearken to his calls, grieved him by a thousand falls. Still for me the Savior stands, shows his wounds and spreads his hands. God is love, I know, I feel. Jesus weeps and loves me still. Tonight we're going to be looking at portions of Psalm 51 and Psalm 103 written by King David. I'm grateful for some excellent commentaries by Dr. Vernon McGee and Timothy Keller for new insights into these scriptures. <clears throat> we all remember David as a man filled with deep love for and devotion to God, a man after God's own heart. He was a faithful servant and an ardent worshiper. And yet, he turned away from God and committed spectacular and grievous sins. In him, we see the heights of devotion and the depths of heinous rebellion against all the good that he knew. The Spirit-filled poetry in his psalms tell his faith story in very powerful language. In them, we can see the beauty of God's faithfulness, our own twisted hearts, and our deep need for rescue and redemption. We can weep along with him that our sin breaks not only God's law, but also God's heart. These two psalms and some other scriptures will help us examine four things, and I think there's a list to go on the screen. Temptation, confession and repentance, forgiveness and healing, transforming grace. These are pretty much the themes for our sermons every week. How about temptation? Temptation itself is not a sin, but if we consider it too long, it can be a slippery slope to sinful actions. In our current very excellent Sunday School class on Genesis, we took an in-depth look at how the serpent deceived Eve in skillful, appealing, and deceptive ways, just like this. One, the serpent created mistrust in the authority of God's word by scoffing at God's command, leading Eve to feel that she had the right to evaluate, weigh, and judge what God said. He gave her the idea that she could decide if she should obey. His next strategy was to question God's goodness, saying that God doesn't really have our best interests at heart. The serpent denied that God was telling the truth about a fearsome punishment for breaking God's command. And the serpent put forth the big lie, which still trips all of us up. If you obey God, you won't be happy. God just wants to keep us down. We could become gods ourselves. Who needs God anyway? Being self-sufficient is so much more rewarding. Those first chapters of Genesis show us the essence of sin. It is so much more than just breaking the rules. It's trying to be our own God, our own Savior, our own Lord. Seeking to be one's own judge is the beginning of sin, even before you break any rules. The desire to be like God is now embedded in every human heart. About two years ago, a guest pastor at Nielsville prefaced his reading of scripture with this instruction. May we sit under your word and learn from it, not sit over your word and judge it. May the truth of God's word guard our minds and hearts every day. If we pay even a little attention in church, we know intellectually that we're all sinners. 
Yet we can find ourselves skipping through confession in our prayers and giving in to the temptation to excuse ourselves. Pastor Jeff shared with session members a wonderful devotional book, New Morning Mercies, by Paul David Tripp, who happens to be also the author of the Lenten study, which we're about to start next week. After reading this book for two months, I can say that the Lenten study is going to be spectacular, and I would encourage you to sign up for it. And remember, you need to sign up on the website so we know you're coming and we'll have food. Paul David Tripp wrote, We all do it. We evaluate ourselves by looking into mirrors other than the one truly accurate mirror, the mirror of the Word of God. This is a function of the delusional self-righteousness of sin, of working to convince ourselves that we really don't need the grace of a faithful, loving Savior. That's a shocking denial of sin and a minimizing of the grace that's a sinner's only hope. He goes on to say that God knew we would convince ourselves that we're okay when we're not okay. So God designed a means for us to be confronted with the depth of our sin and the expansive glory of his provision in the work and person of the Savior, the Redeemer, the Lord Jesus. God ordained that we gather again and again in services of corporate worship like this one and be confronted with our true identity as both sinners and children of grace, both truth and grace. When we understand the free gift of God's provision of grace, we aren't afraid to admit the depth of our sin And it's only when we admit the disaster of our sin that we're excited about the grace of Christ Jesus, truth and grace. Now let's think a little bit about confession. David was deeply ashamed to see how he had caved in to temptation. With honest introspection, so will we be ashamed. Here in Psalm 51 is David's heart-rending confession an appeal for forgiveness after his commission of both adultery and murder, the first nine verses of Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against you. You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow." Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. After being confronted by Nathan the prophet, David realized with horror just how far he had stepped over God's moral boundaries. He had no excuse or apology. When David writes, against you and you only have I sinned, Tim Keller writes that he is admitting to cosmic treason, conceding that he sought to overthrow the rule of the God to whom he owed everything. Not only did he break God's laws, but he trampled on the heart of the God he loved. And the king humbled himself before God. So how was God able to blot out David's sins instead of striking him dead? 
Only by looking ahead to the New Testament to the cross do we learn what it cost God to forgive David and to forgive us. God hides his face from our sins because he hid his face from Jesus on the cross. As we just heard in the assurance of pardon, God, David writes about God's tender mercies in Psalm 103. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. May we never cease to fall on our faces in wonder and gratitude for this beautiful truth about God's mercy, grace, and love. May we never fail to appreciate what it means he does not deal with us according to our sins. Sometimes on Sundays we sing these words, I come to the cross seeking mercy and grace. I come to the cross where you died in my place. Out of my weakness and into your strength, Jesus, I come to the cross. Your arms are open. You call me by name. You welcome the child that was lost. You paid the price for my guilt and my shame. Jesus, I come to the cross. Scripture exhorts us to confess regularly. It does not consider this an optional exercise. When we confess, we're applying the gospel to our lives, acknowledging our need for sanctifying grace. And when we confess together as a church family, we're helping to guard ourselves from avoiding real repentance. Confession in the presence of caring fellow Christians honors Christ. We need this help to broaden our view of sin and to hear words that probe deep into places that we might like to leave untouched or that we had never even thought to consider. Every Sunday, there's a confession of sin after our opening songs. Rather than leaving your bulletin for the recycling pile, why not take it home and use that confession of sin as a help for your devotions during the following week? <clears throat> On Sunday, February 16th, Pastor Jeff gave an amazing sermon about repentance, about how our understanding of the gospel transforms our view of repentance. All of our salvation, including repentance and faith, is a result of God's drawing us opening our eyes and changing our hearts. Jeff's sermon showed us that the gospel lets us rest in the deep joy of our union with Christ, who, while we were yet sinners, died for us. Here's this gospel good news in another familiar song. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted, you were condemned. I'm alive and well, your spirit is within me because you died and rose again. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my king, would die for me? Amazing love, I know it's true. It's my joy to honor you in all I do. Looking again at Psalm 51, we see David desperately desiring a restoration of the joy he had known. After his confession of adultery and murder, he begged God to cleanse, change, and renew him. Only God could give again the joy of salvation and the blessing of the Holy Spirit. And these words in uh, Psalm 51 we just sang this past Sunday. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. 
Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with the willing spirit. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Repentance led David to hate his sin, turn away from it, and once again pursue only God. After confession and repentance comes forgiveness. We must never forget that God forgave David as he forgives us because of Christ's blood shed on the cross. God does not forgive sin because he is big-hearted. He forgives our sin because Jesus paid the penalty. But there's something interesting to note in David's story. God took the first step. He sent Nathan the prophet. I wonder how long David might have remained trapped in his sin without Nathan's confrontation. We see God's immense grace again. He does not write us off when we offend him. He goes to work to initiate reconciliation. Again, in Psalm 103, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. The Lord works righteousness. The Lord shows great and steadfast love. The Lord removes our transgressions an infinite distance away. The Lord is like a compassionate father to us, his children. Compassion is the quality by which God empathizes with us in our human frailty. He remembers that we're dust. This has to be one of my favorite scripture verses. When I'm despairing of my pitiful attempts at praise and prayer, when I'm distressed that my confessions seem to be for the same old sins, when I look at the brokenness of the world around me and cry out, I am greatly comforted when I know that God remembers that we are dust. This theme echoes through many of the songs we regularly sing. This is a favorite line from one hymn. I am weak, but thou art mighty. Hold me with thy powerful hand. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let that grace now, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Remember Peter's conversation with Jesus about forgiveness? Is seven times enough to forgive? No, 70 times seven. Remember the gracious forgiveness of the father in the parable of the prodigal son? Remember how Jesus forgave the woman caught in adultery? Jesus forgave those who planned and executed his death. Jesus forgave Peter's awful betrayal. The Bible is one long story about how God continually reaches out to forgive and reconcile us. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Hallelujah. Amen. Temptation. 
confession and repentance, forgiveness, and now transforming grace. Did David's story end with his forgiveness? No, it continued as he promised what he would do when he was restored. In Psalm 51, 13 and 14, he said, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. My tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. When we sin and are reconciled, our stories do not stop there. Perhaps we could even say that one of the reasons we are restored is to go out and restore others. Share that gospel good news. We should be guardians of one another in love, not letting those that we love drift away from the Father. Isn't it wonderful that we are part of a Christian family of brothers and sisters to whom we're accountable as covenant partners? and who are tasked with pulling us back when we stray. The list of commands for caring for one another in the, United, in the New Testament is very long. I think there are 53 one another's. Living and loving this way is not a natural function of our sin-stained selves. But when we are in Christ, the Holy Spirit has indwelt us to give us both the desire to live as God commands and the wisdom, strength, and courage to grow more and more like Jesus. Paul wrote in Romans 12 that we are to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. And in 2 Corinthians 5:17, Paul wrote, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. That was one of the verses that Jeff used in his sermon on Sunday. What do we look like when God's transforming grace is working in our lives. Jesus tells us that healthy trees bear fruit. He tells us in John 15 that he is the vine to whom we must be attached in order to bear that good fruit. And he reminds us that unfruitful branches are pruned and thrown away. Healthy lives rooted in Jesus look different. If you remember in Galatians 5, Paul wrote a list of the fruit that the Spirit produces in our lives, and this is reinforced all the way through Scripture. Um, I don't remember the occasion that I did this. It probably was 20 years ago, and maybe I had been in a Bible study on Galatians. Maybe I had just read the fruit of the Spirit again, but I thought, hmm, I want that fruit in my life, so are there things that I am doing that keep that from happening because the Holy Spirit wants to grow it, but we can quench the Holy Spirit. We can dump out the living water. We can block out the light of Christ. So I have made a chart, and I kept it in my prayer notebook, and I edit it every once in a while when I think of something, that lists the fruit of the Spirit and then the ways that we, um, the, the opposites of the fruit of the Spirit. And I have, uh, it's in, uh, going to be on the screen and um, responsive reading for us. Um, and I, I will read the first part, and then you can respond with the things that we ought to repent of. And there are nine fruits of the Spirit. Love. In 1 John 4, 19, God says we are to love because he first loved us. May we repent of animosity, bitterness, hatred, and contempt. In Nehemiah 8:10. God tells us we are to have the joy of the Lord as our strength. May we repent of resignation and self-pity. Peace, John 14, 27. We are to enjoy peace unlike anything the world can offer. May we repent of worry and anxiety. 
patience, Colossians 3.12. We are to put on humility, meekness, and impatience. May we repent of resentment and irritableness. Kindness, Micah 6.8. We are to love kindness and walk humbly with God. May we repent of coldness and lack of consideration for others. Goodness, Romans 15.14. We are to be full of goodness. May we repent of evil thoughts and jealousy. Faithfulness, Psalm 89.1. We are to make known God's faithfulness to all generations. May we repent of lukewarm allegiance and half-hearted actions. Gentleness, Ephesians 4.2. We are to walk in a manner worthy of our calling in humility, gentleness, and patience. May we repent of harsh self-assertiveness. Self-control, Titus 2.12. God's grace teaches us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. May we repent of immoral appetites and careless expression. We live as new creations only by the transforming grace of the Holy Spirit. And this is possible for us feeble creatures formed from the dust of the earth who fade and die like the grass and flowers of the field. It's possible because God created us in his image. A.W. Tozer writes, Redemption is taking on the material of fallen man by the mystery of regeneration and sanctification and restoring it again so that the image of God is renewed. Redemption is not just saving us from hell, although it does that. It is remaking us so that we can reflect God's character again. Have you ever looked at a scripture verse or a verse of a hymn and all of a sudden it dawned on you what it was about and you thought, why have I been singing this for 50 years and not noticed this before? <laughs> I noticed it when we sang Rock of Ages last week or the week before. Um, it, in, it says, um, may the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed save from, uh, be of sin the double cure save from wrath and make me pure. And I'd always sung through double cure and thought, that's strange. But the double cure is save from wrath, keep me from hell, and make me pure, make me holy. So will we let our theology, our head knowledge about faith, open our eyes and change our hearts so that we are new creations? Does the beauty, truth, and grace of the gospel overwhelm us? Will we daily drink Christ's living water? Let's pray. We praise you, almighty God, for your redeeming, reconciling, refreshing, restoring, transforming grace, love, compassion, mercy, and faithfulness. We praise you that you do not deal with us according to our sins. Amen. To learn more about Nielsville, visit us online at nielsville.org.